Thank you for listening to the podcast. This is Sten. I would like to announce that my team in Nashville is looking to add an experienced advisor. This advisor would have approximately four years or more of experience, but more importantly, this advisor is looking for a new challenge. This advisor wants to take the elite path and reject the average path in our industry. In this role, you will work right alongside me growing your business. Together, we will help level up legacy as an organization. If you think you're up for this challenge, you can go to stenmorgan.com backslash apply to answer the questionnaire. Or if you're listening to this and you're thinking of another advisor that could be a good fit, please make that connection. If that advisor becomes an advisor on our team, I will send you a $5,000 referral fee. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I'm here with my good friend, Matt Jarvis, uh, and this is Becoming an Elite Financial Advisor. Man, I'm pumped to have you on today. I, I think there's a few people that I get to hang around that make me uncomfortable. Uh, I feel like that's usually the role I try to play. So uh, any chance we get to hang, I love it. Oh, that's fun. It's definitely the feeling is mutual. I was making that comment the other day. I'm like, man, anytime I hang out with Sten, I feel like I got to like 10x my game just to keep up. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me. You bet, man. So I want to get straight to it. The, a lot of people follow you. You know, you're direct, don't pull punches, love that style. I, I would love to, and I haven't been able to ask you this in person, kind of a, an inflection point journey in your career. Because there was a point where, you know, like Sten, Matt was walking around in baggy suits trying to, you know, knock on people's doors and build a business. And and then there was future inflection points where it's like Matt's doing big, great stuff. So what's a kind of a quick journey for everybody so they get a little better idea of, you know, where Matt came from and how he got where he is? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely more years than I care to admit to of uh, baggy suits that didn't didn't fit right. Uh, <laughs> in fact, a, a mentor of mine, Sten, actually, this is an inflection point, a mentor of mine, I was at Chamber of Commerce meetings early in my career because I thought that was going to be the place. I, I'm not sure anyone has ever gotten a client from a Chamber of Commerce meeting, but man, I tried. We all and, tried. Uh, and a, yeah, yeah. A gal there, Marjorie Godfrey was her name. She recently passed away, a good friend though. And she pulled me aside. She says, Matthew, listen, um, you look terrible in your suits. I'm not trying to be rude. You look terrible. And, and I was heartbroken because that was my best looking suit I was wearing at the time. She says, you look terrible. Here's what you need to do. You need to go buy one nice suit. doesn't have to be expensive. needs to be tailored really well. Nobody needs to know that it's your only nice suit. But whenever you're going to close the sale, you put that suit on. And if you do that, she says, I promise you, eventually you'll have a whole closet full of nice suits. And so at the time, I said, well, great. I'll, I'll do whatever you recommend because I was hoping she would become a client. She never did. But uh, it, it made a difference. And so I know we joke about like having ill-fitting suits, but one of the seemingly small inflection points for me was actually mm. dressing sharp when I went to the office. I, I don't look as prestigious now as I did then. Um, you know, I, I, I look like, in fact, I had a prospect one time, Sten, and they became a client, but they said, hey, we would love to hire you, but I'm not convinced you didn't come here off of your paper route. Like, I'm pretty sure if I look behind <laughs> your office, I'll see a bicycle there and your paper route. Like, that's how young I looked. Nice. And so dressing sharp was an inflection point. I love that. All right. So that by point, you kind of leveled up. And I'm sure that did something for your mindset as well as perception, you know, d drives reception. But after that, you're a young advisor, you know, yeah. stepping up the game, confidence is growing. What was the next one as you think about yourself as a business owner that you say that this changed everything? After this moment, I was I was never the same. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So a big inflection point for me and Sten, I know it's something you're passionate about because you coach a lot of advisors as well, is finding somebody who's got what it is I'm trying to achieve. So for me, it was when I met... Um, when I met Tom Gao, who passed away a few years ago, and Tom showed me how to do one-page financial plans, how to do prospect process, how to do all these different things. And it was finally like, you and I meet all these people all the time. They say, oh, this is how you should run a practice. And I said, great, tell me about your practice. 
They don't have a practice. Like it took me years to realize I shouldn't take advice from people who don't have a practice. Tom had this phenomenal practice. He said, hey, this is how I do it. And I thought, man, if I just do it that way. I mean, I've even adapted some of those things, Sten, from you, where I'm like, all right, if Sten can go in here and charge a planning fee right up front, if he can go in here and illustrate this value, like just, you know, douse them with a fire hose of value, I can do that too. And there's so much confidence that comes from, hey, I know this strategy works. I just need to work it. Nice. What was next? So at that point, you have a path. I think one thing our industry doesn't do well to advisors is, hey, here's a path. Mm-hmm. And if you can say, hey, here's somebody that's blazed yep. a path, I want to follow them. So if you're listening now, you should always have maybe one or two people that you're like, I see where they are. Maybe it feels kind of in the mm-hmm. distance, but I'm going to, as opposed to randomly choose ideas and hope it works out, I'm going to follow somebody. So you found somebody, started following them, helped you make better decisions. What was the next leap that got you to the point where you're like, I work less than most people. I make more money than most people and I make a bigger impact than most people. Cause that <laughs> felt like that had to have been a 50 X moment. Yeah, that was a big inflection. There was uh, there was another advisor I, I met once at a conference and I forget his name and I wish I could remember his name, but he took me aside and he pulled out, he had a, um, you and I might remember this, probably some of the listeners don't, the, the people used to do spreadsheets by hand, right? Like there used to be this green and white spreadsheet paper. Now, if you've never seen this by the four, you should look it up, but there's people used to do spreadsheets by hand before computers existed. And this guy pulled out a spreadsheet that he had been taking by hand with pencil for the last like 40 years. And then it had like all the numbers of his practice, how many days he worked, what his blood pressure was, how much AUM he had, what his take home was, how much he paid in taxes. And he took me aside and he showed me this. And he says, Jarvis, listen, if you start tracking these things, like I'm tracking them, then it will transform your practice. And I thought, well, that, that can't be right. You've been in the industry all these years. You've got this great practice. You're making it. I see the numbers that you're making. Uh, and so I thought, hey, why not? This guy's obviously successful. So I started tracking those things. And again, so I know you track those. We help advisors track like what their average planning fee is. It's just crazy. I know it's cliched to say that the things that you measure improve, but they always do. And so yeah. I started tracking days out of the office. Uh, and the first year I tracked it, it was 40 days. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I wonder if I can get it to 50 and then to 70 and then to 100 and then to 130. Um, at one point, nice. I got all the way up to 150 days plus weekends. That was ended up being too many. But mm-hmm. it was it was tracking that. And then I started tracking other things. Like, well, if I take 100 days off, that means I'm only working these other hundred and some days. How much money am I making each day? Like, what's my hourly rate worth? Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I did this just the other day. Uh, it came out to a little over $2,000 an hour. So for every hour I'm in the office, on average, I'm generating $2,000 of revenue. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good awareness thing. That means, like, when you call me up and you say, hey, Matt, you want to be on my podcast? I'm like, all right, is this going to be worth $2,000 of revenue? Well, yeah, time was Sten, hands down worth that time. But, like, you, my number wasn't always there, right? It was, like, $10 or $0 or negative, negative dollars. Right. But, uh, but tracking that and being aware of it really made a big difference. Nice. I heard a great quote, uh, Michael Hyatt, anything worth doing requires a team. And yeah. I think sometimes people hear that and they're like, well, you know, Matt, either he's just not serving clients for those days out of the office. Give us some context. Cause I know it's because you have a team. I've met your team and yeah. that what afforded you that time away was also growing your clientele, but it was, I have a team that's continuing to serve and deliver massive value, it just doesn't always require Matt. Yeah, yeah, it's about being uh, a super intentional there. Um, it's about being super intentional. So I've, I've, for a long time, it was just myself and Colleen, who's been my office manager forever. So a long time, it was just the two of us. And then we added additional team members. Uh, so right now, it's, it's myself, it's Colleen, we have another lead advisor, and we have a pair planner of sorts. So there's, I guess that's four of us on the team. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Um, and so that does facilitate it. But even when it was Colleen and I, in fact, Colleen, when she first started, she jokes about this. She started in June, 12 years ago, June. 
the like two weeks after she started Sten, I told her like, hey, listen, my family and I, we just got a place on the lake for a month. I'll see you in a month. Like, here's the keys to the office. I'll, I'll see you later. And she says, well, what do you mean? I just, I just started. I said, well, tell you what, I'll check in with you every Tuesday, every Tuesday morning at eight o'clock. And every Thursday afternoon, I'll check in with you at 3 p.m., which I still do to this day. And if something comes up that needs my attention, I will be glad to handle it. Otherwise, schedule it or book them for surge or whatever the case may be. And the other reason we're able to do that is like you were so proactive on delivering value. So if you're an advisor and you're just waiting for clients to call with concerns, then you're mm-hmm. always going to be at the mercy of those concerns. But if you are the advisor who's saying, hey, every calendar quarter, I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to talk about estate planning or taxes or risk management or whatever the case may be. That's mm-hmm. going to let your practice, again, be more proactive versus reactive. And, and so that's how I'm able uh, to this day. I was gone all last week. I was in Portland with some friends dirt biking. I didn't hear from my team at all because we have systems in place there. And when clients call, they, you call in or Alex or whoever says, great, let me schedule you for this time. And it takes care of it really well. Nice. So the team, team's valuable. But I think that does dispel the myth a little bit is that you have to have a team in order to have a, a healthy practice. that You don't have to be part of every single day, have balance in your life. But it does require good systems, proactive practice, because there's a chance you leave the office. People haven't heard from you for a while and fires do pop up. And yeah, yeah. that may kind of just totally crush any dream you had of taking a week or even a month off if you're in that reactive state. Yeah, 100 percent. And you want to make sure that your your team, if it's just one a part time virtual assistant or or a full team, uh, you want to make sure they feel really empowered. Right. I want my team to be afraid that I'm going to leave and they're going to get stuck holding the bag for something. Right. Yep. And so we have scripts that they go through uh, so that if a client calls, hey, can I talk to Matthew? Oh, you know what? Matthew's helping another client right now or he's not available right now. Is there something I can help you with? No, I really need to talk to Matthew. Okay, no worries. Is it okay if he calls you next Tuesday at two o'clock? Oh, yeah, that would be great. Cool. Can I tell him what it's regarding so he can be prepared? Well, I just I want to change the tax withholding on my distribution. Oh, wow. Great news. I can take care of that yes. for you. Do you still want to talk to Matthew? Right. But yeah, Stan, you know this, right? Like how many calls come in from clients and they just like, oh, I work with Sten, therefore all my questions go to Sten. But if your team can help triage that, the client's going to get a better service and you're not getting interrupted. That's right. Yeah, we've even found that Brooke on my team, who's kind of the spearhead for that, they actually prefer to talk to her. They, over, yeah, yeah. You know, they'll come in for a yeah. meeting like, where's Brooke? And you're like, I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, because half the time they ask you something, right? And this is no disrespect to you. I do the same thing. Yeah. I'll say, oh, Matthew, can you do this? And I say, well, actually, Colleen will take care of that. Hey, can you schedule me? No, Colleen does all the scheduling. Can we take it? No, Colleen does all of that. <laughs> and so it's that that's her superpower. And which is great because it's not my superpower, like scheduling mm-hmm. attention to detail, getting these things together. That's not my superpower. So not only does it make better use of my time, but the client, again, gets a better experience. That's great. Yeah, let's talk about superpowers for a little bit. I, I, there's the, the 80-20 yeah. rule. And what I find is that most advisors spend 80% of their time doing the things they shouldn't and 20% of the time yeah. in their superpower. And in some of the teachings we have at EAN, we say we got to flip that. Like 20% of your time yeah. needs to be superpower and 80% needs to be uh, the concept who, not how. It's we, we're, we're outsourcing it to other people that are better at that. So at this point, where would you say that your superpowers have, has evolved over time? Like where were they and maybe they shouldn't have been and then kind of where are they now? Yeah. Um, boy, where were they? they? They were like I didn't understand that superpowers at all, right? So I thought the superpower was like how many buttons I could push in Money Guide Pro or Navaplan or, or whatever, right? Or how many Morningstar reports. Like I, I don't know. I just thought that was the superpower. Hours work. Yeah, hours worked was super hours hour. worth. That's hours worth. You know what I need to do is type in every holding to the penny. That way, you know this analysis is is more accurate, right? Um, I, I to your to your point though, I realized that my superpower is helping clients understand things that they didn't understand. In fact, I used to keep a quote on my computer mm-hmm. monitor 
that said a wealth manager's job, and you can put whatever title you want there, but our job is to make clients aware of problems they didn't know they have and show them the solution. And I know, Sin, you do, I've seen some of your illustrations on tax planning, on on uh, managing cost segregations. Like, wow, the client didn't even know that was a thing, and now right. they do. And that's that's your superpower. That's why I'm in awe when I chat with you. I'm like, oh, wow, that's such a brilliant way to articulate that. Not Sten sitting at a computer, like, typing things into into Morningstar, right? Like, that's that's not a superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Email's another one. Well, I think probably most advisors spend 80% of their time in email. That is yep. not a good place for me. I'm super easily distracted. I think we're all massively ADD. Like, I love going into email. I love going to social media. It's a giant waste of time. That is not my, like, no client is hiring me because I'm super good with email. Um, And so it's really like, can I be in front of clients? Can I be in front of prospects? Can I be in front of centers of influence, articulating to them valuable strategies? That's great. Yeah. If you're listening, when you hear superpower, and the reason we love that word is because it is a little shocking and not often used when it comes to advisors, is that it should be something that's, it's very specific. It's unique to you. Uh, even on Legacy, my team, every team member has a superpower. You know, is it client service? Is it project management? Is it meeting prep? But because they focus on cultivating that activity, and and it, and it shouldn't be the eighty percent. You know, which is busy work can be outsourced. Email. It's this thing that's so unique to you that you can build. And yeah, mine over time has become. You put me in the in a room with a whiteboard and a prospect. Game over. But a lot of advisors are so stuck in all the busy work and they're nervous to be in a meeting room. And don't speak with the confidence. And I think every advisor, one of their superpowers should be conveying value to a prospect and creating urgency in a, in a meeting room. Yeah, 100%. I love that mindset of superpower, right? Sometimes it's easy to say like, well, I have, I'm the advisor, I have the superpower, and the other team members are just here. No, no, no. Each one of those team members has their own superpower, right? Whether it's talking to clients or taking care of administrative stuff. Like sometimes it's easy to dismiss that. But you and I can't be in that room delivering value if those other things aren't being taken care of. Yep. Yeah. One activity we actually are doing this through our team now is I see a lot of practices and a lot of practices that are what I would call average. They're, they're fine. Yeah. Whatever they're doing is yeah. working just well enough to keep the advisor stuck. I'm having everybody on my team go through and say, I want you to, to write an elite description of your role. There's what we all do just because it's our job, but like actually reimagine your role and imagine what it would look like that you'd say, wow, that's so far and ahead of what an average pair planner or relationship manager or even lead advisor would do. For me, as I sat in a room trying to do the exercise before I assigned it to the team was it made me kind of think like, wait, is most of the stuff I'm doing kind of average or what most people do? Or am I doing something that's totally different? So if you're listening, think about doing that exercise with your team of let's sit down and not just take for granted what got us here, but what's let's shake it up a little bit and say, you know, maybe half the stuff you're doing, you don't really need to do anymore. Yeah, I, I love that. In fact, a lens I've applied to that one sometimes, Sten, is what if we had to double our fee? Like, let's just use this as a thought exercise. What if for some reason, whatever our fee is right now, planning fees, AOM fees, we had to double it? What kind of value would we have to deliver in order to uh, deliver enough value to cover that fee? And then, then we can also flip that the other way. Like, if we had to cut our fee in half, terrible idea. But if you did, what things would you get rid of? And it's kind of a nice filtering mechanism of, like you said, how do we deliver uh, an elite experience? The other place I... Uh, this was kind of a, a an epiphany or an inflection point for me was somebody once recommended to me, Sten, that whenever you bring any kind of papers to a client meeting or a prospect meeting, at the end of it, ask them which papers they want to keep and which ones they want you to shred for them. And hmm. that tells you right away where the value is. And I know, Stan, when you walk into me, you're drawing all over the whiteboard, right? Uh-huh. And clients love that. Like, I haven't sat in your client meetings, like, but I guarantee you that they're asking for a copy. Like, can I take a picture of that? Can I take that yeah. with me? No client is ever saying like, hey, page 47 of that uh, Monte Carlo, can I have that? 
Right. Yep. So it's a real like awareness of these are the things that somebody actually thinks is valuable versus what I thought was fun to run off the printer. Oh, I love that. So uh, a lot of people are potentially heading into surge. And this is something you've kind of led the forefront on and kind of pushing. It's part of my practice, too. What, what is a practical piece for somebody um, that hasn't done surge that has heard about it? You know, they, they wouldn't argue with you that it's a, it's a good model. What do you find are usually some of the sticking points or obstacles for advisors to do it short of I've just never done it before, so it's uncomfortable? Yeah, I think the the biggest sticking point, and, and someone actually wrote an entire article on the Kitsis website, is um, people tend to jump into it too far. We tend to be a little bit com- uh, impulsive. Uh, it comes, seems to come with the territory. And so if you've never done surge, like if you're running right now on a spot where clients just call whenever they feel like and they can get on your calendar the next day, and you go straight from that to, hey, I'm only going to see clients every four months, that's going to be a big problem. It's going to crush your team. It's going to have client concerns. You need to ease your way into it. And so the easiest way to do that is to say, hey, for example, I'm not going to see clients on Mondays and Fridays. I'm only going to see them on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. In fact, I'm only going to see them at four set time slots on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. That's going to do a lot of things. One, it's going to guarantee you always have Mondays and Fridays available to focus. The other is that when your team is scheduling, they're not doing this like, hey, Sten, does 8.30 work? And you say, no, how about 8.45? Well, 8.45, what about 9.15? Nope, Sten sees clients, or they call my office, Matthew sees clients on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Which one of those days works best for you? Uh, Mm -hmm. Wednesday works best for me. Cool, he has client times at 8.30, at 10 o'clock, at 11.30, like whatever the time slots are. And so it makes it very succinct, very professional, like going to a a doctor's office, right? And so that I think if wherever you're at, and including you and I, Sten, we can be more intentional about our scheduling and we just need to turn that up a little bit. We don't have to go straight to the deep end. Though you, you could. I mean, guys like you and I do, like we're straight to the deep end, but for everyone else, uh, easy way to do it. You can see that uh, even a, a client lost, if 10 hours are saved, it's a it's a great trade-off. And anytime you change your practice, there are going to be people that no longer fit the new world, yeah. uh, the new reality. And so you have to be okay with some kind of shakeup there. Uh, what, what I love about that is, one, giving people permission to kind of ease into it. But it's a great example of how, as a business owner, you actually get to design a business that you like. Um, we had a client, this was, I don't know, less than a year ago. And one of the pair planners on my team said, Sten, I did not want that client to say yes to work with us. Because uh-huh. it's kind of complicated. They had some international stuff going on. It was a great planning case, great fee. But I had to sit back and think, like, okay, for somehow our process is broken. If a, a member of my team is not excited about somebody saying yes to work with us, Mm-hmm. because we designed it. And so we're, we're yeah. upset for people to pay for what we offered to give them. Like this is our product. They said yes to, and we're not excited about it. And so surge, anything in your business, the frequency, when you respond to emails, like that's all up to you. And so if you're frustrated, if you don't like the things you're spending your time on, like here is permission for me and Matt to take control of that because your, your business is not making everyone happy. It's making the right mm-hmm. client. happy. Yeah, if only because it's going to be impossible to make everyone happy. And you, and we all already have, like, no matter how far your practice is from Surge, um, you're already being intentional. Like, I, I would be willing to bet that everybody on this this listening, all the all the people listening here, uh, are not taking client meetings at 2 a.m. on a Sunday. Like, and, and we yes. can laugh at that. Like, of course, I'm not taking client meetings. Okay, well, I bet you're not taking, I hope you're not taking client phone calls from the men's room. Like, if you're in the men's room taking care of business, you're not taking, of course I'm not. Okay, so we already have parameters in place. What Sten, you and I are suggesting is just be a little bit more intentional about those. Yeah, great. I'm not yep. going to take a client meeting at 2 a.m. on a Sunday. I'm also, I don't take client meetings ever on Fridays. That's just, a, I just never do. And so it makes it an easy discussion. Yes, sometimes, and to your point, you may have one person, maybe two in your career that say, nope, that's a deal breaker for me. I'm not going to work with you. 
in which case they're just not a good fit, right? If, if that's their deal breaker, something else is going to be a problem too. Yeah, it's a disservice to your team, your family, your business mm-hmm. if you are trying to cater to the minority or the client that's just not your ideal avatar. I, I will also want to challenge listeners that do not use it as an excuse if you don't work Fridays that your revenue should go down. Because yes. there's advisors. I always get challenged when I hang out with you guys or go to other events where I'm like, wait, they're doing more with less time. They're making more revenue. And the ultimate goal is how can I work less, make more, and make a bigger impact? And so even if you constrain your weekly schedule from a lifestyle standpoint, do crazy, amazing things within the, the constraints you're giving yourself. So if you're working three days, I bet you there's an advisor that me and Matt could find that's 5Xing your production in those three days. And so try not to let that be an excuse because I think it's a both and thing. Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad you pointed that out, Sten, because we do sometimes see advisors that aren't doing the hard work and they say, well, I'm not really, you know, I, I'm just playing office all the time anyway, so I might as well just go home. Okay, well, you, you still like you still got to make your calls. You still got to meet with your prospects, right? This stuff has to get done. And if you can get it done, I mean, let's let's say your numbers. I want to call 20 prospects a week. I'm just making up a marketing metrics, pick whatever one you want. Okay, so if mm-hmm. each one is 30 minutes, that's 10 hours. That's what, one and a half days? Okay, I don't need five days to do 10 hours of work. In fact, I could probably make that even more efficient. And so to your point, we want to look and say, hey, there's advisors crushing it at all levels. The, the schedule is not the issue. Yep, definitely. Well, as we get kind of wrapping up here, I'd love to hear, how are you seeing the industry? We get this question a lot here just because we get to talk to a lot of advisors and leaders at different organizations. What are some things you're sensing, feeling, or, or saying, hey, guys, without a doubt, this thing's coming. Industry's always changing. Uh, people can hold on to the way it's always been done and kind of ride it down in flames and you know pivot too late. What are the things that you're saying, I know this is coming, you know, mm-hmm. like it's this at times when I talk to him, I'm like, man, he's convicted that this thing's changing um, yeah. around so much of it. What are some of those things you're seeing? Yeah, I'm like you. I'm a big advocate of delivering massive value to clients, right? And you do that just phenomenally. And I always learn from you when we talk about that, um, where I see that changing. So right now that's like head and shoulders, right? The stuff stand that you teach people to do that you do in your practice is head and shoulders above almost every other advisor. But that that bar will keep moving. Right. It used to be when you and I started the industry, you could give somebody 10 American funds at a 5% load and that was being good. That's a good financial advisor, right? That, that's just what that was. And people today might scoff at that. 20 years ago, that was the industry, right? Today, it's yep. a comprehensive financial planning, but almost no one's doing tax planning. Almost no one's doing these, these higher edge strategies. That's going to mm-hmm. move too. And so whereas right now we can scoff and say, well, Vanguard's got to dial a CFP program. They're going to up that game. I don't know when it will be. At some point, they too will be asking for tax returns, right? At some point, Edward Jones will be doing tax planning. And that's not disrespect to either of those groups. But what you and I do that it's like next level, like we're 10x the next advisor, that's going to keep moving like that, that bar. And so if you're not at Sten, if people aren't playing at your level, at my level, you're already way behind. You and I are trying to find the next level after this. So the the bar will keep moving. Uh, What's considered table stakes will keep going up. That's good. Yeah, I think the embracing... And I meet advisors like this. I'm sure, you know, part of the perfect RA you do too, where it's like they almost want to argue with you. They want to resist change. And I think all of our posture needs to be like change is coming. Like we're not going to argue the fact it's happening. We're, mm-hmm. We might argue around how to best address it or what the next thing is. Uh, but I know within our community and yours too, it's it's this this yeah. culture of like we do hard things. Uh, we do big things. And sometimes, you know, you shoot for a 100x idea. Maybe you end up at 50x. But that kind of posture versus I'm going to clinch to what is known. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's a, that's just one, not a story anybody's going to want to read someday. And it's, it's it, the energy is slowly going to die. Your team's going to feed off that. 
we have to bring that spark. And for me, I think that's where, you know, we'd like to I, you know, throw out random ideas. And sometimes my team's like, that's not a great idea. But like just the practice of ideas and change uh, will we'll try to keep you closer to the front of the pack. Yeah, it, it will. And an inflection point in my career also was I'm only going to play games that I can always win. And so this idea of I'm going to deliver as much value as I possibly can to clients, I can't, I can't lose that game. Like, let's say I'm way off. Let's say the industry never moves, that it's plateaued on value. Cool. Then you and I are still delivering incredible value to our clients. We're still doing the best we possibly can. Maybe the industry never catches up. I don't think so. I think they will. But uh, how do I lose at this game, right? How do I lose at the game of bringing value to clients? I, I don't. Love I can't. It, love it. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll say, I just finished a book, so I'm going to throw it out there if you're listening. Unreasonable oh, Hospitality. Um, oh, interesting. Great book. Yeah, we're going to add it to our book list. It's it's about, it's kind of more the restaurant industry and how do you do things that just wow people. Yeah. Uh, we do have constraints in our business from what we can spend, but um, yep. even within the confines of that, we're, I'm challenging my team on how do we deliver not only strategic financial value in our plans, which is kind of more my natural tilt is just towards yep. the numbers, but what does an experience look like? Um, so if you haven't read it, check that book out. Uh, Matt, always fun, brother. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, it's great to see you, Sin. Thanks again for having me. Well, thank you to Matthew Jarvis for stopping by the show today. You can find out more about Matt and all of his work at Matthew Jarvis. That's J-A-R-V-I-S, MatthewJarvis.com. And if you're listening to this, there are less than 10 seats available for our September event here at our offices in Franklin, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. So if you are interested in attending our event, go to howtochargelive.com, howtochargelive.com. We would love to spend some time with you, and we guarantee that the event will pay for itself and your first planning client. Thank you, as always, for listening, and have a great week.